0: Our Bible reading this morning will be taken from Matthew nineteen ten to twelve, Matthew twenty two thirty to thirty three, and Revelation nineteen six to nine. When I'm done with the reading, I'll say, "This is the word of the Lord." Please respond by saying, "Thanks be to God." Matthew nineteen ten to twelve. The disciples said to him, "If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry." Jesus replied. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Matthew 22, to 33 At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage, They'll be like the angels in heaven. But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Revelation 19, 9 Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and the, loud, and the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, and He added, "These are the true words of God. This is the word of the Lord."
1: Thank you, Ophiré. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Nice to see us all, and uh, happy that you are here. And uh, and uh, we are all of each. <laughs> Where is, uh, where is uh, okay, yes. <laughs> All right, okay, good morning. Good morning for those uh, who um, are joining us for the first time. I'm so happy that you are here. My name is Femi Oshunui, and um, welcome, to, welcome to the final part of uh, the series that we've just started. Well, it's a three-part series, so this is the final part where we've been looking. Um, the name of the series is... Christ and Sexuality, exactly. Christ and, I was mixing the names of sermons with it. OK. So we have come to the final part. And uh, let's go right in. I think, be, well, let, 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 me, let me just talk about this before we, we go ahead and pray. Um, I don't know if you know people who have done startups. Startups, you know, any kind of startup. But here's the thing about people who begin startups. You need to have a little bit of crazy inside you to start something. Do you, you understand what I mean? Then you need to have it just something should not be, you know, totally all right. Something shouldn't be totally screwed. Because by very definition of doing a startup, you are making an audacious statement. What you are what are you making? What's the statement you're making? You're saying, I want to begin something that has never existed before. I say they have a little bit of things screw uh, loose in them, in their heads, because They start off with vision statements and mission statements, something like this. We want to eradicate global uh, carbon emission fuels by 2030. Global. Or we want to end global poverty by 2040. Or we want to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews (laughs) one city. They are, you know, they have these traits in them that make them a little bit crazy. And sometimes, because of that, they become insensitive when, and they don't even know that they're insensitive. I wonder if anyone like that comes to mind. You see, just before we launched City Church, I preached two sermons. I was going to preach two sermons on marriage. But then I had some ideas that I wanted to get out that I thought the Bible te- uh, taught, I still think the Bible teaches them on singleness. So before I went into marriage, I preached a message called Radical Singleness. Even you can hear that, radical. I don't know why I don't use those words again. It's still on the podcast if you want to go and check it out. And so, you know, I thought the sermon was going well and all of that. But there was a point in the sermon I said something like this, in fact, verbatim. It's not God's will for everyone to be married, and it's okay. I thought that was a radical statement, radical singleness. But there was a lady in the hall that day. Uh, She was probably about 34 to 35 years old. After I said that, she was really upset. She was very upset. In fact, I hardly think she heard anything in that sermon thereafter. She came to meet me later and said she cannot believe I said that, because she refuses to believe that God will want her to live in such misery. You know, the thing was, I don't think I was. It's not, I, I wasn't wrong. At least, I don't think I was wrong with the statement itself. But I wasn't as sensitive and empathetic to the situation that she was in. What situation is that? I call it advanced singlehood. Who are advanced singles? Advanced singles age-wise. <laughs> advanced singles advanced singles, age-wise, I would say, you know, once you start entering your late 20s, 28, 29, Wow. Okay, turn to your neighbour and say sorry, <laughs> <laughs> because everybody, everybody, But really, it's stop it. Let's stop calling names. Ah, God. All right, okay. From the early thirties, okay, early thirties, people have divorced singles, divorced or separated singles, and sometimes widowed singles. They face pressures that. People who have been married, who got married early enough, earlier than they, or people who are still younger singles, don't really identify with or don't really understand. You see, within the next three years, that same lady called me at least two or three times to tell me how she was in situations where she was experiencing deep temptation, where she she knew she was wrong, but she was going to give in to the temptation, and all of them she was going to sleep with someone. In fact, in one of those situations, it was a married person. Now, it's easy to look and say, oh, you know, terrible lady, that, why, she's not following Christ. But again, that's what I'm saying. There's an experience these people have that sometimes we don't identify with. And many times these pressures come out, I expressed, sexually. This is why both within and outside the church, and I'm really speaking to within the church today, sexual activity among people who are not married is on the rise. Masturbation and the viewing of pornography is also on the rise. Why? Because, as I said before, advanced singles face pressures that many of us do not understand. So maybe you are here and you feel they don't understand. And maybe you are here and you feel I'm losing hope in this battle. I don't think I can win. Can I say to you, don't lose hope? Don't lose hope. Because I tell you, while the my people and the younger singles may not understand, God fully understands. He has heard your cry. He has heard your frustration. And I believe today he will meet you. Amen. Amen. And so won't cap this series of with what the Bible teaches about this. Title of the Sermon, Sex and Eternity. And I pray that God will give you renewed hope in your singleness. I pray he will strengthen you to live in a way that glorifies him. But I also pray that you will see the unique dignity that your advanced singleness provides through the gospel. And for us to you know, seal that, let's ask God now to join us. Lord, we need you. We call upon your name. We ask for the presence of your spirit. We ask that you move and do a new thing in our midst. We ask for deliverance in the hearts of people. We ask, O God, that you will touch the desires of people. We pray, Lord God Almighty, that you will redirect them, O God, to your throne. We pray, O God, that you will indwell them. Lord God Almighty, we pray that you will restore hope. Restore hope, O God, in this place in the name of Jesus. We ask that you bring dignity, O God, to our people in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to look at this. Uh, message, sex, and eternity, through three, um, um, uh, these three headings, the prophetic single, the purposeful single, and the persevering single. The prophetic single, the purposeful single, and the persevering single. Now, when Matthew 19, right? Now, in Matthew 19, and you see this um, in verses 1 to 3, Jesus wants to do a, he's about to do a Q&A session, right? And um, when do we do Q&A? After a after service, after the preaching. So Jesus is going to do a Q&A session, right? Because he had just taught in Matthew 18. He had done a lot of teaching. He was teaching on God's will. He was teaching on church discipline. He was teaching on humility. He was teaching on forgiveness. So he was about to start um, a Q&A session. Now, unlike when Emmanuel preaches, right? You know, Emmanuel just preached, then he'll go to Q&A, Right? Jesus, you know, he might not have power. Jesus healed in between. All right? He healed in between. Just a few people were sick, and so he released his power. But then, he was now questioned. First question, divorce. What do you think about divorce? Is it right for a man to divorce his wife? Now, Jesus' response was to go against the prevailing wisdom of that day. The prevailing wisdom of that day was you can divorce for anything. Jesus says, no, you can't divorce for everything. Marriage was meant to be permanent except for adultery, to which his disciples, who were part of the patriarchy of the day, said, ah, (laughs) if it's that case, it is better for somebody not to marry. Then Jesus takes that statement and said, that it is better for people not to marry. He said, not everyone can accept that. Not everyone can accept that, category one. Category two, he then says, however, there are those to whom it is given. He calls them eunuchs. And then he gives three categories of eunuchs. That is eunuchs, people who are not going to be married. Then he gives three categories of eunuchs. Let's call them one, born, born eunuchs, second, uh, made eunuchs, and third, chosen eunuchs. You can see them in the text. I hope I'm not. Whatever, 12, verse 12, eunuchs who are born that way. And then there are those who, are, uh, who, um, who have been made eunuchs. All right? And then you have those who choose to live like eunuchs. So eunuchs who are born that way is uh, really, you only talk about intersex people who, because of the physical organs they've been given, there's some confusion. You can't say, is this male or is this female? All right? And then you have those who are uh, made eunuchs. Primarily in those days would have been people who are serving in the palace courts, and they were castrated, and so they were made eunuchs. Okay, and then they were chosen eunuchs. Now, quick aside, quick aside, right? I'm really talking about singles today, but remember Jesus said something. He said, not everybody can accept it. Not everybody can accept it. That is, some of you, you should be married. Can I just say, as as a quick aside, some of you need to get married. Really, like, and I'm not talking about those who are single. I'm talking about those who are already dating. Some of you are dating for too long what are you doing jesus said not everybody can what accept it you have not accepted it you are dating who you think is the right person people have assessed it is now 4 years what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> honestly like move ahead get married counseling and get what right. married a lot of the issues, you are not married, it's getting two years, a lot of the issues, why you are falling into what you are falling into, is because of that. You say there is no money. Come on now. I still want to build this amount of money. First of all, it's not you to build this amount of money. Speaking to the guys, both of you should have the money because you are going to be united. Second, what is the right amount of money? Are you not living somewhere? Oh, no, it's a one-bedroom. We need to live three bedrooms. You are, you are going to both sleep in one bedroom. What, what are you talking about? And follow that logic to the end. That logic says basically, if I don't, if it, that there's a certain amount of money that, uh, that will make me prepared to get married. But so you are saying poor people should not get married because they are unqualified to get married because they don't have the same uh, that certain amount of money. And what if you get that certain amount of money because you have a, that certain job or you build that business? What if then when you get married you lose that job? Will you get divorced? If that business comes crashing down, will you get divorced? Not everybody can accept that word, and I'm talking to you now. You've been dating for a bit too long. Get married counseling and do what? Get married. married. All right. Now that was just the aside. Let's get back to singles. I want to extend this, the latter two, that is the made eunuchs and the uh, the chosen (laughs) eunuchs. I want to extend them, that their meaning to broaden it to our own context. Let's think about mid eunuchs, not just as people who are physically castrated, but people who, are, on the one hand, they, they desire to get married. They desire to get married. But they've either been rejected when they went to meet the baby and said, God told me that we are meant to. <laughs> they were rejected. They, OK, they tried the spiritual one, it didn't work. Then later, they now tried to toast, but they didn't have games. So they were rejected, right? Or nobody. We will soon send out this married man that keeps uh, kidding <laughs> or nobody or nobody is showing interest nobody is showing interest. so it's not you desire to be married, but the situation you are in has been made it's been made that's that one. But then the chosen eunuchs, the choice eunuchs right or chosen eunuchs, right you want to be married they've shown you interest they've shown interest in you but And these are the four things I always tell people, if you want to be, uh, you know this is the right partner. right? These four things must be there. They should be there. One, you uh, you don't have the same faith, you don't have the same way, you don't have the same love, you don't have the same decisions. Same faith, are you both Christian? Same way. That is, same way of believing the faith. That is, if you are a very, very committed celestial church member. And this person is a very, very committed Reformed Baptist member. I'm not sure you guys can get married, and it will be peaceful. <laughs> then, same love. Sometimes the love is so imbalanced. This other person just loves this person with all their heart, blood, and this other one is just managing. That's a problem. And then the last one is same decisions. There are some big decisions that you have to be united in. One can't say, God has called me to live in Nigeria. The other one says say, God has called me to live in Canada. But we'll somehow work it out when we get to that point. Do you understand what I'm saying? Or maybe saying geno- uh, the genotypes and all of those things. There are certain decisions you should be united in. So this person has chosen, because of how they have used their faith to consider to consider how to make the decision of who they are going to get married, they have chosen to remain unmarried even though they want to be married and even though there are people that are showing interest. Are we together? So when we have these two uh, singles, what usually happens in society? Or let's even say in the church, stigma. Stigma. Society looks at you; they don't respect you. Uh, right. if you are a woman that is thirty-eight, right? If you are unmarried, if you are unmar- if you are married, you are madam. If you are not married, you are this woman or this girl. Move away from here, right? Society just looks at you a little bit down, but. What about within the church? It's worse. Though. It's worse. You see, somebody described it. Uh, your state as what? Saved, single, and second class. That's the way you can summarize the church uh, view on it. It's like my friend who describing how they got married. A friend of us, a couple friend of Tosi and I, when we we're in the UK, they were describing when they got married, and the lady was talking about, ah, okay, this is this, this, this how we met. And that's how finally we got married, and he came and delivered me from my spinsterhood. He's saying that if you are she's saying that if you are single right now, you still you need deliverance. This is the church's view. What is the cure for your disease is deliverance through marriage. So this is why. Remember somebody who recently went to a wedding? You know, this is the problem. A lot of advanced singles don't like going for weddings because after they finished with the bride and the groom. You understand? Your own is coming. For all those who are, not, who are single here and desire to... Do, I remember I went for one like this. They prayed for the bride and groom for about f- seven minutes. They prayed for the advanced singles for about 20 minutes. I so said, why did we come here again? The one that I said that she recently went for one wedding and she was going to go and greet somebody. Somebody just said, I prophesied that in two months' time we shall gather for your own wedding. She doesn't even have somebody there's no body. But, yeah, you know, without God, all things are, your miracle is coming. <laughs> do, 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 what God cannot do cannot it does, does exist. Okay, all right. So there is a societal stigma, but also there is a stigma that we also feel internally because of the desires we have, because we, we can't express them, we are stigmatized. And so when we have this stigma, you know what we don't have? We don't have dignity. Within and without. So with this advanced singleness, is there real dignity for you? Apart from the marriage, guess what? Jesus says yes in another Q&A session. Talk to your neighbor and say, I like Q&A sessions. You. Jesus now takes us into a bit of you-know-theology. And in it, what he's going to tell you is this. Singleness means more than you know. All because Jesus says so. Singleness means more than you know, all because Jesus says so. You see, in this next Q&A session, he's with these people called the Sadducees. They are Jewish scholars. But you see, in Jewish, with Jewish scholars, they had different camps, right? So they didn't all agree. So you have the Pharisees, who are more conservative. And then you had the Sadducees, who are more liberal. So the Sadducees says, you are here today, But once you die, there's nothing after. There is no afterlife. There is no resurrection. So they come to trap Jesus, to ask him. They already know what they believe, but they try to trap him with a scenario. They said, there's this woman, and this woman, they were married. And then eventually, the guy died. The woman married another person. The guy died, the woman married, up until like seven people she got married to. Okay, you said there's a resurrection, there's an afterlife. In the resurrection and the afterlife, who will be (laughs) husband? Gotcha. (laughs) Like some people try to get me with Q and A sessions, and I always come back. Like Jesus, all right? (laughs) So Jesus says, (laughs) you people, you have not been reading the Bible where you are because you don't know the scriptures, and you don't really know God's power well. And then he says something. He says in the resurrection, there will be no marriage or giving to marriage. You see, what we have to understand is We have sex. On the one hand, there's a way in which we have sex because we have death. We have sex because we have death. How do I explain that? Let me give you two reasons. There's a sociological reason, and there is a theological reason. So let's start with the sociological reason. How many of us have heard of this thing called TFR, total fertility rate? Total fertility rate. Now, total fertility rate. Measures the average number of children a woman will have in her lifetime, assuming those children um, are alive to the age of 15. The average number of children a woman will have in her lifetime, assuming they go to the age of 15. Why is this important? All countries measure it, it's a very important measurement. Right? Now, if you look at the OECD countries, the most developed countries in the world, right? The richest countries and what have you. The TFR is from 1.3 to 1.9. usually exists between 1.3 to 1.9. That is a problem. You know why? Because there is something called the replacement rate. The replacement rate is 2.1. What is that? If a woman has 2.1 children, on the average in her lifetime, see, it's not possible to pro- Just think about it. 10 women have 21 children. All right. If a woman has 2.1 children in a lifetime, you know what she has done? She has replaced both herself and her partner at the point of death. She has replaced both herself and her partner at the what? Point of death. Meaning, if you go below 2.1, what's happening? Your death rate is higher than your birth rate. And what is that? what's happening as you keep going over and over and over again towards that, what you are... En- basically your country will not exist again. So, for, so look at some of the unique countries that we love and whatever. The US has a TFR of 1.73. The United Kingdom has a TFR of 1.68. Canada has a TFR of 1.5. Niger has a TFR of 5.3. You are saying, do you understand now why they are opening the borders and telling us to come? uh, This is no joke. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is why the immigration boom exists. Spain is 1.23. South Korea is 1.0. The more there's a, you can trace it, the more urbanized and the more developed you become, your fertility rate goes down. Your TFR goes down. That's why even in Nigeria, the state with the largest, 7.3, is Katsina. Surprise, surprise, what is the state with the lowest? 3.4. The point, though, is this. We have sex because we have what? Death. And it is a really important thing for the world, because in 1950 to 1955, the world's But average was 4.96. Today, it is, uh, sorry, 2010 and 50 years after 2010, 2015, it is 2.52. So there is a huge danger. Part of the reason we have sex is because we have death. Amen? Question. What if we have no death again? If we have no death again, then we don't need sex again. In the resurrection, where there is no more what? Death. There is now no need for us to have children again. We will be like the angels, Jesus says. Because the angels don't die, angels never have to marry. And so Jesus says, at that point, there is no need for sex. But second, there is a theological point. Now, this one, I'm happy you had the first... uh, What do you call it? The first uh, service, so your brain is still functioning. You have to keep with me. All right. Look at Revelation 19, verse seven. We have to stop this. Think about what Jesus is saying: is you don't have to be undignified because of something that is temporary. Because reality is often, reality is mixed, or reality you can track reality with the enduring nature of a particular thing. I'm not saying that it's not good to be married. I'm saying. that when you compare it to all of eternity, if you are basing your dignity on this, you are mistaken. So now let's go to the theological reason. In, in Revelation nineteen verse seven, right? Jesus says, uh, the the uh, the, um, uh, the angel says, "Let us rejoice and be glad, give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Ready. Now this hasn't happened. Sure you know, it's happening in the future." Question, I thought we were the wife of Jesus Christ. The wedding has not happened. So, you know, but I thought we were the bride of Christ. Hey, hold on. It hasn't yet. We are the preparing bride. You see, Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 says, I have promised you, I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. In other words, it's not that we are not yet married, but we are espoused is the old word. Or we are engaged to Jesus Christ. Now, it's not like the way we see our own engagement today. You can be engaged, but you can break it off. You see, when, when Joseph was espoused to Mary... Right? It was as good as being married. They were still going to be married, but it was as good as being married such that, he says, that when he found out she was pregnant, he wanted to divorce her, what, quietly. They hadn't gotten married, but when you are espoused and you engage in those times, it was as good as what? So when we talk about the church, the church is not yet totally married to Christ. Maybe I can explain further. Let's go back to what is God's original plan for humanity. Genesis 1, 28. Before that, He had said, let's make man in our image and in our likeness, right? Um, uh, and then give them dominion, blah, blah, and all of those things. Then in verse 28, he said, to them, he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, fulfill it. Now, don't forget, when he did that, there were two. And it says that God used to dwell with them in where? The garden. So when God is saying, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, God is saying, I don't just want to dwell with both of you. I want to dwell with a whole multitude of you. And if he's going to dwell with a whole multitude of them, he's going to dwell with them in a garden atmosphere. So the garden was meant to expand to fill the earth as the human beings fill the earth. God's plan for humanity was always that he will dwell with them He will dwell with them in the world he had created. A multitude and multitude of people. So God started with two people. That's always been his template. One man, one woman. But you and I know they failed. They failed because they sinned. And because they sinned, remember God wanted to dwell with them for how long? For eternity. That's why in the garden you had the tree of life. The tree of life was a symbol that God was going to be with them forever. This was the symbol of eternal life. They were not, they did not yet have eternal life. That's why they could die. But God's plan was always to dwell with them in a garden atmosphere forever. But he wanted multitudes of them. Are we together? So now these people failed. God banished them. They still were fruitful, But it didn't work out. The plan wasn't going to work out. So when God was now going to repair the plan, what did he do? He was going to use the same template. I need one man and what? One woman. Who was that one man? Jesus Christ came. God incarnates himself. So Jesus has to have babies. He has to have babies. The problem was he needed a bride. But he wasn't just having any kind of bride. So what did he do? Oh, I want to get married, so I'm going to die. I'm going to die, then rise up from the dead, because the humanity that I came in with is not the humanity that is going to live forever. So I resurrect into that new humanity, I go to heaven, I send the Holy Spirit to somehow give birth to who? My bride, the church. That's why in Galatians 4.26, Paul says that, And 27, it says, the Jerusalem that is above is free and is who? Our mother. So Jesus' bride now is the church. But this bride cannot produce the children like Jesus Christ in her current state. So what is she waiting for? The bride has to be just like Jesus Christ. She has to also be resurrected like him. So that when the resurrected man meets with the resurrected woman, they will produce multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes. They will become new. So that when God is finished with the people, he will now be finished with the world. And that is why, please put it up, Revelation 21, the end of the Bible says this. Behold, I saw, what? A new heaven and... Because the old heaven and the old earth had old humanity, it didn't work out. But now God is making all things new. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Second thing, then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which is what? Above. And is her mother and she's descending, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared for her wedding. Prepared as a bride dress dressed for her husband. Remember what I said, the total plan of God is is to dwell with humanity, isn't it? In the new heaven, in a, in a, re, a redefined world. Now look at it. And then I heard a loud voice from throne saying, Say it with me. Blue. God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people.
0: And God
1: the marriage has been completed. The real marriage that we are looking forward to. And so when these people are dwelling, why are they getting married again? The marriage and the having children was depicting something, the means that God was trying to use to achieve his final goal. In other words, when this happens, the children that God wants to dwell with, the people that God wants to dwell with, would have been completed. He is now not going to be producing new people. In other words, singleness is our final estate. Marriage can depict the gospel means, but marriage cannot depict our eternal estate in a way singleness does. My point to you is this if singleness depicts what we would be at the end of all eternity, let nobody tell you that you are not dignified because of your singlehood. Our singleness means more than we know because Jesus says so. Turn to your neighbor and say, My singleness means more than I know, than you know. Because Jesus said so, Olu, oh, they would be so happy with that. <laughs> now let's quickly go to the second point, because this is important: the purposeful single. Because somebody then says, "I get it," but does that mean I should wait until eternity just to bear what I'm feeling? Just bear it. The answer to that is no. They're not just waiting for eternity. You know why? Look at what he says about the cho- choice eunuchs, the chosen eunuchs. They choose to live, uh, live uh, like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Two words that you must not forget there. One. It says they choose to live. You see, you know when you have crossed from respecting somebody and following somebody, to worshipping the person when this, when the person says something ridiculous and you cannot say, oh God, that was wrong. There's a great guy in church history. His name is Martin Luther. Martin Luther, because he was really against what the, popes, uh, the uh, Catholic uh, monasticism, you know monks and everything. Martin Luther once said, paraphrasing, what celibate people do is less pleasing to God than having a child outside of marriage. What? What celibate people do? Is less pleasing to God than having a child outside of marriage. He said, if you remain celibate, right, it's less pleasing to God than if you had a child outside of marriage. If you accept that kind of thinking, then life has not begun for you until you get married and until you start having children. Listen to Jesus, don't listen to Martin. He says about the choice eunuchs, the chosen eunuchs. You know what he says? He said they choose to what? To live. You can live. He didn't say they are waiting for a time to live. They are waiting until they can find somebody that proposes to them. Now they can live. They are waiting until they get married. Now they can live. They are waiting until they have children. Now they can live. He called them eunuchs and he said they choose to what? Live. You can live even in your singlehood. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 Says this, look at 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7. It's really important. No, no, verse 7. Did not put verse 7 there? I wish that all of you were as I were, that is, single as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Do you know what he's saying? Marriage is a gift. But he was what? Single. And he's saying singleness is what? A gift, a gift as well. That is, you don't need marriage, please. The next time somebody says, when are you going to settle down? Tell them, I'm already settled down. You don't need married to settle down. You don't need married to live a full life. He said, you can live. He said, you have a gift here. You have a gift here. In other words, Jesus is saying that the way we get at... Look, when Jesus said, I have come, he said, I have come so that you may get married. I have come that you may have what? Life, and I will to toward the full. In other words, that you don't need married to live life. If you have abundant life, if you have life to the full, if you are married, then you will live it in that context. If you are single, you will live it in that context. You don't need to be married to live a full life. The eunuchs choose to live. Choose to live. Don't say that I have Accomplish this in this place of work. God has helped me, and all of these things. But what good is it when nobody's interested in me? You can live despite your unfulfilled desire, and why would that happen? Because you live for a different purpose. Because it's not just said that they live; he said they chose to live, like you know, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So there is a purpose. You see, because sometimes I've engaged some singles who are like, you know, maybe well, they are well-educated, they have good jobs. So what is your purpose now? Their big purpose is, I just want to travel the world. I want to travel to see as many countries as I can visit. Another one says, I want to build the largest organization in this space. Neither of those two desires are bad. But they become bad. In fact, they become selfish, self-centered, when they are your main drivers in life. In other words, all of a sudden, the gift that has been given to you, the gift of singleness, is now used specifically or primarily for your own self. So that first person that wants to travel the world, you know what the problem is? They wouldn't live as kingdom people because they will not be as generous as possible. They will be saving 90% of their income so that they can travel and have experiences. The person who is trying to build an organization, the largest organization in this space, no matter what, that is the main driver. Please don't hear me say that. That is a wrong ambition. I said if it is the main driver, that person will stop at nothing, will step on people, will not develop any leaders until they reach their goal. They will not live as kingdom people. But for us, in Matthew chapter 6, it says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, what? And what's the first petition? The kingdom Come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Later, when in that same chapter, in chapter 6, verse 33, when Jesus says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry about your singleness. Don't pursue marriage as the only main thing that you are trying to drive at. Or other things. He says what? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and God will reorient all of the things that you are doing around that as a center. Are you following me? When you choose to live, live for the kingdom. This is why Paul says you should ask this question. Ask this question How can I use the unique gifts and opportunities God's given me to see the kingdom advance within my life and without my life as well? You see, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 to 35, Paul says this about singles I would like you to be free from this concern. And a married man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, no problem, and how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. I'm a Christian. You understand? I, self, I love the Lord, but when my wife sends me a DM about a dress in her favorite shop like she did last night, I have to first leave my sermon that I'm writing and be concerned with the affairs of what? This world. My wife, I have to please her. Do you understand? He said that for singles, in that regard, your attention is what? Undivided. He's saying you have a unique thing. This is not condemning married people. It's just stating a fact. The problem with us sometimes is that what do we then do? Rather than use the time that we have, rather than use the opportunity that we have, rather than use the money that we have, we then take up something else to fill that thing up. We now become divided just like the married people are. He's saying that if you're a single person, you have a stable financial income. You should not be asking, uh, should be, uh, uh, these married people are giving 10%. Why can't you give 18%? If this person can do devotion for 15 minutes, you don't say because they said in church, just do 15 minutes, irregularity that matters. You can do 45 minutes. You are not changing diapers for children. If this person cannot pursue this certification because they are married, why can't you do two certifications? You have the time. And do it, as Tommy said, make the money and then bring it for the kingdom. In other words, you have unique opportunities and unique gifts. Make the best of it. You can live. I think I need to say that again. You can live. Don't wait. There is a purpose, a grand purpose, that God has given you in your singlehood. If you are not, if you find that dignity, if you find the dignity, the next thing is to live for a purpose. Somebody then says, but what about my real desires? My desires for family and sex. I have those desires now. Eternity is so far away. Let's deal with those two. Your desires for family. Some people have said something like this: Do you know that the number one means for spiritual growth is uh, having a spouse and kids? Now, that statement is true and is not true. It is true if you are married and you have children. It is true specifically. If you are married and you have children, yes, your spouse. Can be a means of sanctification and spiritual growth, but what about Paul? So Paul did not; it wasn't really as sanctified. He didn't really grow spiritually because he didn't have mind. No, it is true specifically, but it is not true generically. Somebody then said, "But it says that it's not good for man to be alone." But that wasn't just yes. It was when God said that He didn't give him a wife. But the the general and the main statement there was that it is not. Don't forget, he said that it's not good for man to be alone, but God blessed them and he said, be fruitful and what? multiply. It wasn't about them. He brought them together so that they could not be alone. In other words, he wasn't making that statement for marriage. He was making that statement for all of humanity. And so what then happened was when he brought Adam and Eve together because he was going to accomplish his purpose toward, for them, Adam and Eve, when they started, were God's people. God's people were just a couple. By the time you get to Abraham... Isaac and Jacob, and the end of Genesis, there are 70 people there, the family of the promise, the promise bearers that God made to Abraham. God's people were an extended family of 70. By the time you get to uh, the end of the Old Testament, God's people are a nation, Israel, although although under occupation. That is why when when Jesus is answering about the resurrection, he says, Have you not read, I am the God of who? Abraham, the God of who? Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God identifies himself by the patriarchs of his people. I'll say that again. God identifies himself by the patriarchs of his people. By God, God saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is an identity issue with his people. Now, in the New Testament... Paul, in Ephesians 1 verse 3, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3, doesn't say God of Isaac, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know what he says? The, God, of, the, of our, the God, God, our, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, God is saying, oh, my people have transitioned. It is no longer just this Israel, but now I am a father. I am a father through... What Jesus Christ had done. And if he is a father, guess what? His people are a family. His people are what? A family. That's why when Jesus, in Mark chapter 3, verse 34 and 35, they asked him, they said, Ah, your mom and your brothers and your sister are waiting out for you. He looked around. He said, He said, what? He said, This one, this one, this one. Whoever does the will of my father is my brother, my sister, or my father. He's saying, Because of me, there is a new family. Paul often called people brothers and sisters. In fact, my one of my favorites in Romans 16 verse 13, he says, "Greet Rufus, and greet Mama Rufi, who is not just Rufus's mom, but has what been a mother to me." In other words, look around you guys. We don't just have. Uh, ch- fellow church members here We have brothers and sisters We don't just have mentors and guardians here We have mothers and fathers You can be single and still have a family mm. You see The family that you have now Your blood natural family What he has said because of the resurrection Will not be your family in the resurrection Actually your real family is the family That goes into the resurrection These are going to be your eternal family members Let's practice it now that is how you deal with your desire for family. God has said, I have not left you alone. If Look, singleness does not mean loneliness if you are in God's family. But then, how do I deal with sexual desires? You know, let me be frank with you. What is the problem with pornography and masturbation? There is self-fulfilling prophecy because to pr- Most people to view pornography, how do they do it? They do it alone. What is masturbation? Masturbation is self-pleasure. It is, it, they talk, they, they depict loneliness. They depict isolation. You do it in isolation because they not just, you don't just do it in isolation, they actually isolate you. Most times when people do it, the more people, this research has shown this, the more people actually masturbate and view pornography, do you know what, the more they retreat from people. Most times because they feel shame. That's why if you're a Christian, you feel shame. So you've done this bad thing, be like, people don't really know who I am. You isolate yourself. But as you isolate yourself, you isolate yourself further into the act of masturbation and what? And during and pornography, it just keeps going on and on. And it's the same thing with those who are sinfully living out their sexual, uh, 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 performing sexual activities. Because at the end of the day, you then feel ashamed for what you did. And when you feel ashamed, you start to isolate. And for those who have done it so many times that they no longer feel ashamed, you're in a worse position. Why? Because now your conscience is no longer picking you. It is now dead. These things are destructive because they depict a life where you are not living for the kingdom. But many of you go through that reality. Let me tell you how you can, three things that you can do to, to, to do this. You have to, you see, you have to break the cycle of isolation. And you use your family for that. So one of it is just get involved in kingdom activity. Serve, give, you know, come up with kingdom innovation solutions. Do certain things. Let me tell you. It's not just that you're achieving things for the kingdom of God, but do you know that when we achieve things, that in itself is a thrill. There's something about building something and you get a thrill in it. But also, as you are doing more, guess what you are doing? You are not being isolated. You are spending time with family. Second one, Is this. Make yourself accountable to your family members. There is nothing that shames the devil more than when you call somebody and say, I have to confess to you. Call somebody, whether it is a fellow church member, brother and sister, or somebody in authority as well. Just confess. If you're in a healthy church, they will not condemn you. They are there to carry your burdens. But shame the devil. Expose what is done in darkness. And the third thing is, People just don't do this often, but many times I counsel people who have gone through this stuff. One of the first questions I ask, and I have always received the same answer 100% of the time How is your fellowship with God? When last did you encounter God? When last did you feel a sense of the love of God? It has been reducing, reducing, reducing. God is no longer real. Their relationship with God is based on some kind of laws. So listen to me, guys. For those of you who do this thing, stop doing it. Don't get to church just before the sermon starts encounter God in the place of worship with your family members. Listen, I'm not saying, and you should be doing this, For many of us are not doing it. We're worshiping God personally, but there's also a way we are able to meet with God and see God when we hear our voices one with another. This is a way to break the cycle of isolation. Are we together? And he said, but man, okay, but still uh, just, how do I use that eternity as a motivation, though? Have you ever been fired before? I, I, I mean fired. You know, th- that thing we call, um, I was, I was um, laid off, or we parted with. Um, yeah, we decided that it wasn't working for uh, Have you been fired? Be <laughs> I've been fired. I've been fired. I've been fired once. It was, I, I was working at an insurance company. And so when, we first, when I first signed up for a job and they were taking us in, they knew whatever, they asked. Do you people have do you have any planned holiday? All right, do you have any planned holiday? I said, yes sir, I do. I have, I have, I have one, I have three weeks that I'm taking Christmas. Because when before I joined it, I'd already bought the ticket too. I bought the ticket back home. I went to come and see my babe. I went to come and see my, she's my wife now. I went to go and see my family. I'd not seen, I wasn't at that time it was going to be like a year plus. So I said, yeah. They now said, ah, three okay. He said, when that, when, we'll, we'll see how it can be done. So time comes towards the end of the year, and then I apply for my three weeks. They gave me three days. <laughs> and those three days were not even consecutive three days. That's your people, HR people, or what All right? They, they didn't give me one day, one week, one day, one week, and the other, every week. I said, like, what is this kind of thing? So now I was now faced with a desire in the moment and a desire in the future. The desire in the moment was to keep the job because it was paying well. But desire in the future, for me, was far greater. It was to see the face of my wife. Do you understand? And so the desire in the future eventually did not make me give in to the desire in the past, because it was far greater, I let go of the job. It cost me, but it would have cost me much more not to see the face of my babe, my who was going to become my wife. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I am saying that in the future, in the at the end of of time, Jesus is going to throw the o and bear of o and bears. I'm saying that if you can carry your cross now, it will cost you, because I can tell you that there is a glory that Jesus has prepared for you. That no matter what desire you are feeling now, it will not compare to it. It. Though I lost the job, I go another one by the way. But though I lost the job, when I saw how it was all worth it, carry your cross now, it will be worth it. But now a final point, point I must rush. Someone's saying, you see, when I read, but when I read verse 8 and verse 9 of Revelation 19, fine linen. Bright and clean was given to wear, her to wear. Finally, then stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. He said, this is discouraging. Because you are telling me to anticipate it now. then. I can't anticipate that I'm going to get an invitation. Because, Femi, you don't understand. It's the lack of strength that makes me fail multiple times that is the problem. I've heard a message like this here or there before, but I feel that I particularly, I have a problem. He said, blessed are these people, but me, I feel cursed because I keep falling over and over again. I don't think, I'm, it's not that I'm not part of community. I am, but I pretend too much. I mean, I do stuff in church, but even when I do stuff in church, even sometimes the night before or the morning before, I give in to my sexual desires. Despite all the warnings over time, I feel in the gutter, in the gutter, I feel like I'm cursed. I'm not sure I can anticipate the wedding of the Lamb because I don't have my linen is not fine. It is not clean. It is not bright. I have been in the gutter. I have no righteous acts. Now, I won't lie to you and say ah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. You're fine now. Don't you know the grace of God covers it. When church people, and it has happened many times, when church people come, people that I feel like, ah, they should know these things, when they come and confess to me, I'm heartbroken. It's disappointing when that happens. But, what is the opposite of the curse? What's the opposite of the curse? Blessing. Who are those that were invited? The blessed. What does it take to get the invitation to the wedding? A previous IV. What do I mean? I recently got, my wife and I recently got an invitation for our children, uh, one of our, uh, uh, the award ceremony for our children, who, thank God, was receiving a prize. And they put at the end, this IV permits only two. That's it. So if we now go for it, you say, why did we get, why were we able to enter this restricted event? What would you say? Eh? Because what? Which IV? The one that was just given to me. You'll be right and you'll be wrong. We got that invitation to our child's school's ceremony, right, to come, because we had got a previous invitation. The previous invitation was when our children interviewed for the, for the entering the school. It is only because our children are in the school that we can then get the Ivy for a further ceremony within are you getting what I'm saying it is because our children were part they received a previous invitation now that they are inside the school they now we now got another invitation towards the ceremony you see the Invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb is not the main invitation There is a previous invitation that you must have It is not, you say, oh, but, uh, but uh, that I have to be a blessed person with righteous acts to be able to enter that No! How do you become blessed? You become blessed because you say you are cursed, it is true But Jesus Christ was cursed on the tree for you so that you can be redeemed and on the account of being cursed on the cross for you he then says so that those who have faith in him may receive the blessing of Abraham and it is on that basis that Jesus then puts out this invitation to you now if you take that invitation he says that you are no longer blessed because I have been cursed for you and if you take that invitation now guarantee you will get the invitation to the wedding supper. you are blessed. Not because of the things that you do. You are blessed because of what Jesus did. Receive his invitation. It's okay, alright, okay. I'm getting it now. I'm getting it now. But I just need one more thing. I want to start pleasing the Lord. I want to stop doing this. I want to stop falling. I want to, I don't want Satan. I feel like Satan, even though I'm blessed in Christ and all that, I feel like Satan keeps defeating me. I want to be able to fight better. Maybe because you say you're a Christian. I went with this illustration given by the great preacher Tony Evans and I adapted it. But it's about my favorite series of films of all time. Rocky. You see, Rocky 5, Rocky was an old, Rocky Balboa was an old retired fighter now. He had lost all his money. He wasn't doing well financially. And he didn't have a purpose to live again until he met a guy, a young up-and-coming boxer called Tommy Gunn. And Tommy knew about Rocky. He had the legend of Rocky and all that. And he asked Rocky to train him. Rocky was initially a bit hesitant, but he decided, I'll train him. And so he trained him. He poured into him. He told him all the secrets and all the tricks. And Tommy started winning. And he started winning and he started rising and he started rising until he became the heavyweight champion of the world. But just as that happened, he forgot about Rocky. It got to his head. And so he now had new friends, people that were telling him all that he wanted to hear, sycophants that were trying to make money from him. But everywhere he went, as the press were asking him, they would say, But yeah, you are good, but you're not like Rocky. You are good, yeah, but Rocky, you know, Rocky was better. Rocky, until the thing filled him with so much rage. One day he went to see Rocky at a bar and he challenged him to a fight. And Rocky was like, Why will I fight you? Come on now. I can't, what's all of this? And he said, Come on, come on, come on. Until Rocky resisted until he now punched Rocky's brother in law and his older brother in law, Paulie. And then Rocky said, Let's not wait for the ring. My ring is outside. Let's go and fight outside. That's where they go. The problem with the fight is this, that Tommy was too fast and too quick, he was too, he was too young and too quick, Rocky was too old and too slow and so he tried his best but Tommy beat him and beat him and beat him until Tommy left him in the gutter and now he's in the gutter and Tommy's walking away and just as he's walking away Rocky starts to remember Rocky 1 and Rocky 2. When he was just an, a bomb. And somehow he got a chance to fight the heavyweight champion of the world, Apollo Creed. He first drew with him and then the second time he beat Apollo. He remembered that and then he tried to get up. He couldn't get up. Then he remembered Clover Lang. A fighter that was most likely better than him in Rocky III. He defeated him but then in the second fight, Rocky then had now trained with Apollo Creed. And he defeated Clover Lang. He tried to get up. Couldn't get out of the gutter. Then he remembered Rocky Four, Ivan Drago, the Soviet bear machine, who he fought in Moscow on December 25th, and against all odds, Rocky, who came out of retirement because Drago had killed his friend Apollo Creed, Rocky beat him, and he tried to get up, and he couldn't get up in the gutter until he remembered his coach, his coach that had died, Mickey. Mickey came to him And he could hear Mickey's voice Mickey said to him Get up Get up you son of a gun Because Mickey loves you And at that point he got out of the gutter And then he said his immortal words He said yo Tommy I didn't hear no bell That is the fight isn't over One more round And then he fought him And he beat the hell out of Tommy was going on? Rocky, memories of Rocky's previous fights could not help him at that point. The only thing that could help Rocky was when somebody who had died had come back to life and told Rocky that I love you. I don't think you understand what I am saying. You see, your previous battles where you actually fought sexual temptation will not always help you. Your previous ways where you used your will and you said, I did not give in and therefore you walk into a trap. It will not always help you. But listen to what can help you. There is somebody. His name is Jesus. He once was dead. He's coming back. And even if you have been fallen and you have broken and you have done this thing over again, Jesus says to you, get up. Get up you son of a gun for Jesus loves you The only way you can do this thing Is if you depend upon Jesus And yes you may fall You may seem that you are unrighteous But Jesus Paul says this That he was made for sin Who knew no sin That we may become what? The righteousness of God in Christ And that righteous one That is on the last day says Even if the righteous fall seven times They will rise up again Why? Because Jesus says Get up Get up, you bum! for Jesus loves you. I don't care how many times you are falling. I don't care if you've fallen again, even after you've heard this sermon series, and you are feeling like there's nothing I can do. I don't know why God will love me. He's saying, get up. Get up, you bum! for Jesus loves you. And if you live in Jesus Christ, you can look at Satan and say, you see you are falling, and Satan, you say, Satan, I didn't hear no bell. One more round. Just give me one more round. And if you fall after, guess what you'll say again? Satan, I didn't hear no bell. One more round. For those who are the righteous in Jesus Christ, there is always one more round for you. You don't have to fall. For in Jesus Christ, you are clean. If you believe that, let's rise up.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.